Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. We're unable to do anything, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. Uh, Mark brings out the fact that the scribes and the priests, they, they feared him because of all the people that were astonished at his teaching. You see, they, they were astonished at his teaching because he was actually laying out the word of, the word of God to the people. It wasn't just a ceremony to him. No, man, this is the living word of God that he's, that he's laying out before the people and explaining it to them in a way that, again, it's becoming applicable or applicable to their lives that it's making a difference in how they think and about themselves and how they think about who God is. The priests and leaders of the Jews had a good thing going with the temple business. They were lining their pockets with profits from the exploitation of people's sacrifice. The sacred act between the people and God was defiled by their greed. In today's message, Pastor David asks us to examine our own hearts as well as our churches. Are we seeking to serve ourselves or are we focusing on glorifying and drawing near to God? Now here's Pastor David with today's message entitled, The Beginning of the End. It was a building. That's all that it was. Can you imagine? For those who had seen the first temple, and now they see it, no wonder they were weeping and crying when they saw, that's it? That's it? But that's what they had. And yet, even with all of the deficiencies, for almost 400 years, the Jews continued there. And they used that second temple as a place of worship and a place of sacrifice. Then in 63 BC, still 63 years before the birth of Christ, with the Romans in control, Herod, who was in control, begins this huge building uh, campaign. And he's going to leave a legacy of all the things that he built. And even today, when you go to Israel, you can see different things where, where Herod had, had put his name on these buildings, these magnificent things. In, uh, in, during that time, uh, Herod took that small, that unimpressive second temple and he actually, in, in, in an effort to appease the Jews, but more than appeasing the Jews, to make a name for himself, he turned that second temple into one of the largest construction projects of the first century B.C. Josephus records for us that the temple of Jerusalem was Herod's great masterpiece. It was a beautiful, beautiful edifice. I mean, ornate and just absolutely gorgeous things. You've, you, could, you can go on the internet and look at artist renditions. You won't see the real thing. Uh, you can look at artist renditions of what they feel that it looked like, just absolutely beautiful. But you know what? It didn't have the glory or the spirit of God. It was just still as beautiful as it was. 
It was filled with ritual and religious ceremony, even to the point to what it evolved to at the day of Jesus. This street fair attitude, this bazaar. Nothing to do with the Spirit of God, but everything that had to do with making money for those religious rulers that were there. They charged exchange fees. They charged excess for all of these things. That's why Jesus says, you've made this whole place a den of robbers. Pilgrim traveling to Jerusalem, he'd go to the temple. He'd exchange the money there at the, for the, the temple coins. He'd buy an animal, and usually by that time, it wasn't a pure, spotless animal that he was buying. A lot of times, it had a variety of faults or sicknesses, but the priest would say, that's okay, that, that, that one will do. Sell him, because I need to make money off of him. Oh, yeah, that's okay. He's, he may be lame, but that's okay. We're, you can sell him as a sacrament. We'll, we'll give an extra uh, blessing over him or whatever they would do. So these pilgrims would come, and they, they would buy these animals far from being what God had required for them. They would then offer that, that animal as a sacrifice without having anything to do with that animal personally. And this led to a great impersonalization a whole loss of meaning to the entire sacrificial system, just going through the motions. The sad thing is, how many people week after week after week after month after month after month after year after year after decade after decade go through the motions as they go through churches today? They go, why are you here today? Oh, it's my habit to be here on Sunday. I just go through the motions. Does it mean anything? Does it impact their lives? Does it, does it encourage them? Does it challenge them? Does it change them in any way? No, I've been going through the motions, been going to the same church for decade after decade after decade, and it really, I'm not, I'm not challenged here. It's just kind of the convenient thing to do. And you see, that's what was going on with the temple during that time. It was empty. It was so meaningless. One of the other things that you need to know about what's going on here during Jesus' time, this whole commercial enterprise was taking place in what's called the court of the Gentiles. The one area in the temple where that, that was designated for Gentiles to be able to come in and pray and to learn about the God of Israel, to learn about Jehovah, the one true God. There, the, the Jews could witness literally to their pagan neighbors. They could tell them about that one true living God, but instead of being devoted to evangelism, that area was now changed to be a religious marketplace. And so Israel's witness to the surrounding world was wiped out for financial gain. What a sad situation that is. As I read and studied this section of Scripture, I couldn't help but wonder what the Lord thinks when he sees our churches in the Western civilization today. Lord, what do you see when you look at us? Us, yeah, in particular, but all of the Western culture. What, what does the church truly represent? Is it ritual and, and ceremony 
empty of any real personal connection with God when people come through these doors? Is it something that they come in and, and they're continually being uh, asked and, and begged for money for this and money for that and, and again, just pounded and pounded over things and it's just a ritual, just a ceremony coming in? I wonder what the Lord thinks. Are we really a place of prayer and worship or have we declined to be a place of simple religious ceremony? Is the church filled with the designs and the plans of man? Does the church simply offer entertainment with the correct lighting, music that's focused on man's delight rather than glorifying God in the midst of it? The question I have to ask is, whose house is this? Whose house is this? I know you don't mean anything by it, but every once in a while, some of you actually who have been going here for years will speak to me and say, well, pastor, your church, and then you'll go on with, and think, no, it's not my church. It's all y'all's church, okay? I was in Austin last week, okay? Give me a break. <laughs> but more than that, it's our Father's church, and we are just a portion of that. The Pharisees thought it was their house to do with as they pleased in any way that they pleased. But Jesus came in, he threw out the marketplace, and he declared its rightful owner. This is my father's house. And he did it, and he began to teach the people the truth about the father and about the father's kingdom. Luke tells us as we go on here, verse 47, that he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and the leaders of the people, they sought to destroy him. They were unable to do anything, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. Uh, Mark brings out the fact that the scribes and the priests, they, they feared him because of all the people that were astonished at his teaching. You see, they, they were astonished at his teaching because he was actually laying out the word of, the, word of God to the people. It wasn't just a ceremony to him. No, man, this is the living word of God that he's, that he's laying out before the people and explaining it to them in a way that, again, it's becoming applicable or applicable to their lives, that it's making a difference in how they think and about themselves and how they think about who God is. We're going to see over the course of the next few uh, chapters, which is only the next couple of days, how Jesus used the courtyard of the temple and the southern steps of the temple uh, to bring healing to so many people's lives and to continue to teach the word of God. And when you think about it, think about it this way. He, being the very word of God in human flesh, healing people by the power of God and teaching the word of God in the house of God. It can't get any more powerful than that. Wouldn't you love to be sitting on the southern steps as Jesus, again, just broke open the bread of life to us and, and shared the reality and the truth of the Father, not only, and not, not, not only the judgment that's going to come, but the great love that God has for the people in order to save them from that coming judgment. The cleansed house of prayer, his Father's house, now became Jesus' classroom. But all that seemed so right about that picture was the thing that these religious leaders so despised. And they wanted to kill him because of it. They wanted to get him out of the way. 
in order that they could return back to business as usual. You got to understand, he really hit their bottom line, you know. He hit the thing that was most important to them, the finances. They, they cared absolutely nothing about the truth that was being spoken. What they were concerned about was the bottom line, and they hated him for it. All of this hatred poured from their lives even as they stood literally on, on, on the very precipice of God's judgment. It was coming. In, in 40 years from now, they were going to be wiped out. But they couldn't see that. You and I, we can look back and we see, oh man, how foolish they were. God's judgment was coming and they didn't change their lives at all. As a matter of fact, they despised the things that the word of God told them. They despised the, the messages that they heard. They only wanted to enjoy the life that they were having right now. Couldn't they see, couldn't they understand that judgment was coming? That's why Jesus called them blind guides. How could they even begin to show and declare the glory of God when they themselves had never known it? They'd never experienced it. But beloved, let me ask you, what about the church today? What about our nation? What about the day that we live in right now? It's so easy to look at the situation of the Jews of Jesus' day and with the advantage of history, we can bring judgment upon their foolishness and upon their blindness in not seeing that coming judgment. And yet I believe that we too as a nation and yes, as the church in general, man, judgment's coming. And when judgment comes, the word of God says, where does it begin first, church? It begins in here the house of God. Why? Because the people of God are professing one thing and living another. Don't point at your neighbor and say, oh yeah, I know that. <laughs> I believe we as a nation, we as, as the church in general, we're, we're standing on that precipice. We're standing on the, on the very edge of, of the cliff of the judgment of God. I, I feel, and we've spoken about it many times, that these are the last of the last days. Ah, pastor, I've been hearing that for years and years and years. Yeah, well, it's getting closer, <laughs> okay? I believe that it's getting closer. I believe that judgment stands at the door. We, we, we look at so much of what is called the church within our culture and within what is called the church today, so many people are seeking entertainment over discipleship. They're seeking for easy words of encouragement over a message that brings conviction. They, they, they look for appeasement rather than the truth, the real truth that would set them free. The people want to worship God and yet still live our lives without sacrifice and obedience to his word and the call of God in our lives. Beloved, too much of the church wants to have resurrection power in their lives, and yet they're unwilling to be crucified daily. And that's why we have a weak and anemic church. And I believe that that's one of the reasons why our culture and our society that we live in today is in the shape that it's in. Because the church has become a building rather than a people of God active about the plans the purpose, and the message of God. Amen. When the church becomes a destination for entertainment, 
When the church becomes an attraction to soothe our conscience rather than a place of instruction and repentance, rather than a place of brokenness and renewal, rather than a place of challenges and revival, oh, we might see a real great growth of attendance. But you know what? We're not going to fulfill the call of God that's been placed in our lives. And so the kingdom of God and, and God's work around us is going to remain undone. There in the temple, when the Son of God was present and the power of God was revealed and the Word of God was taught and the will of the Father was being accomplished, the kingdom of God expanded. But one of the other things that happened, persecution came. Persecution came real quick. They crucified Jesus just four short days after this. And then, ladies, you're going through the book of Acts at the women's Bible study on Tuesday nights and Wednesday, and Wednesday morning. There in the book of Acts, we see, man, as the church got on fire for the things of God and were doing the very right things, the true things, the things that God called them to do, it didn't suddenly make everything wonderful and smooth. No, it brought great persecution. Why? Because this world is not our home, folks. And the more we come to realize that, the more we're going to understand Man, this is why there's such a press. This is why it's so difficult to speak the truth and why the, the world is the way that it is. And when we began to speak the truth, then we're labeled as, as bigots and, and, and haters and, and all kinds of things rather than saying, no, I'm speaking the truth of God's word. Culture is what's messed up. God's word remains true. We look at what was going on with the church in those days, particularly in the book of Acts. We, we see, though, though the Lord was adding to the church, church daily those that would be saved, it wasn't about attendance charts. It was all about glorifying the Father and lifting up the Lord Jesus Christ. And the more we understand that as a church and more we understand that as individuals, the more we'll be about the Father's business rather than the plans of man. Our great king, as Jesus shared with us in, in, in that parable earlier on in chapter 19, our great king has gone on a far journey. And he's given us, even as he said here, he's, he's given us an investment that he wants us to invest. And as we shared when we looked at that parable, I believe that what he's given us is the gospel. The gospel is the same for each and every one of us. Oh, the Lord gave me this great talent. Well, that's good. Use it for his Lord. But the most important thing that you have as a believer in Jesus Christ is the message of the gospel. And it's the same message of the gospel that saved you that will save the ones in the outback of, of Australia, the ones that are under communist regime of North Korea and China the ones that are under Islam and, and the weight of that there in the Middle East, and oh yeah, that, that, that Muslim that's your neighbor too. It's the same gospel message. And when, if you'll remember when, when the king came back and he said, I want to call into account all of my servants, the ones that I gave the gift to, what have you done with the gift that I gave you? And one said, man, I, I've invested it. Man, here's, here's 10 more on top of that. Man, I believe that he was someone who took the gift of the gospel and he wasn't afraid to share it with his family, with his neighbors, with his coworkers, with those that he ran into because it was real in his own life. It was easier to share it with others. Then there was the other one that said, man, I, I, I've taken that and, and, I, and I brought it fivefold. Man, you still did a great job. You, you've done good. 
But what was the complaint that Jesus had? Was that one that took that gift, and as I said, I believe it's the gospel, and he hit it. He hit it to the ground. How many believers today? Let's just bring it real personal. How many of us today here in this room or even listening to the broadcast, whether it's internet or on the radio. How many of us have the gift of the gospel in our own lives, and we declare that we are saved by the grace of God, not by works that we've done, but because of his grace, he saved us. We believe that with all of our heart, that Christ died on the cross, the, the death that he died, pay for my sin. How many of us have that gift of the gospel, but yet we've never, ever in our Christian experience, ever shared that as an investment in someone else's life? No, I don't want to see a show of hands. That'd get real uncomfortable, wouldn't it? It's the call of the church today. Just as the Son of God came to seek and to save that which was lost, we as his representatives were to be about seeking the lost and proclaiming the hope of the gospel. Beloved, if we get to be like the temple of Jesus' day, where it's just ceremony and it's just ritual, I believe that on the front of our building, we place those words, Ichabod. The Spirit of God is gone. I hope and pray that will never happen. That we, as a people of God, would come to understand that just as the people of Israel in the day of Jesus were standing with judgment knocking at that back door, that we'd realize it's right at our door also. Real quickly, and I'll close with this, I'm reminded of the words of Jesus to the churches in the book of Revelation. I believe that we're the church of Laodicea. I believe that our culture today so much because in the Western church, and I don't mean just those churches west of the Mississippi, okay? I believe the Western culture, churches, are very much in line with the church of Laodicea that said that, hey, you know, we're rich. We've become wealthy. We have need of absolutely nothing while the Lord is looking at us and seeing us as desperately poor in spirit, that we're wretched, we're miserable, we're poor, we're blind, we're naked. And as he says to the church of Laodicea, hey, I'm on the outside of your church. I'm knocking on the door. I want to come in. I want to have fellowship with you. Because of the busyness of your activities, because of the direction and the purposes of your lives, you know what? You've pushed me so far outside the church. He says, behold, I stand at the door knocking. If you'll answer, I'll come in. I'll sup with you. He also tells that church, for as many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. I rebuke and I chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. You see, he wasn't done with the church of Laodicea. Just as he's not done with the church of today. There's still a job for us to do. There's still a, a mission for us to accomplish. And the Lord tells that church just as he tells us. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Beloved, the temple was a mess. It was supposed to be the house of God, but it had become a den of robbers. 
They were less concerned about the things of God than they were about their own comfort and their own desires and pleasures. hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard today is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We meet Saturday evenings and twice on Sunday morning, as well as throughout the week. For more information about when we meet for worship, including driving directions, log on to theopenword.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now here's Tracy with some more important information about how you can help support The Open Word. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. And as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. Today's broadcast was professionally produced and God has given us a vision to see The Open Word expand into other parts of the world. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to TheOpenWord.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Tracy. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in and may God richly bless you.